right? You and I come from the corporate world. We coach people in the corporate world. They would give us our middle finger if we said, go follow your bliss, right? They're like, I have kids to put through college. I have elderly parents to take care of. I'm not going to follow my bliss, but they want to do it in a different way. They want to find that grounding and that peace while they're living, you know, and then work slowly towards whatever that bliss and dream is, you know, in a sane manner. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. I love spending this time with you. Can I just start by saying that? And I'm really, really honored that you choose to spend, you know, soul time with me every week. I know that time is precious, but I love that a lot of you use this as your me time. You guys know I talk about the power of meetings time for ourselves, And so taking this hour to walk and listen or exercise and listen or whatever you do, maybe just chill and listen. However you're experiencing it, thank you. I love being together. I love learning together. Mostly I love being inspired together. I feel really honored that I can share these conversations. And today I am so excited to share this conversation with my dear friend and soul brother, Mark J. Silverman. I met Mark early on in my coaching career, and he's just opened up so many doors and portals for me in my own growth as a human, as a coach, in just my exploration of constantly pushing to that next level and also digging deeper and connecting with myself. And a big part of that is what we talk about today, which is his system of only tens that he's created. So let me paint this picture. How many of you know this feeling where you literally feel trapped by your own schedule, your own busyness? You feel like you know, they overschedule me. They're always demanding things from me. They, 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 like, who's the they? And I love, this is the central question that Mark is posing through his work. It's like, wait a second, we're in control. This is all about reclaiming our own choice, the power of choice, which helps us reclaim our own freedom and personal power, and frankly, our own authenticity, because what he takes us through is a dive into some questions that on the surface feel like, oh, that's a nice time management tool. And underneath the surface, when you really dig into this work, it's like, oh, shit, that's a life management tool. And even more profoundly, that's a life transformation tool. And it was so much so for Mark that in rereading his initial book, Only Tens, he was like, oh, now I get this book. Now I understand the power of this system. I've seen it work for myself. I've seen it work for my clients. And he gifted us Only Tens 2.0 toward the end of last year. And so many truth bombs 
in this book and we start to dig into them. So for those of you who don't know Mark, you're in for a huge treat. Let me tell you a little bit about him because this is going to take those shackles off you guys. What we're talking about in this episode are the keys to let ourselves out of the prison we create for ourselves and all the things we believe are happening to us instead of saying, no, I'm at choice. These are my tens and starting to build a life around that. And it's going to feel uncomfortable. We get into that juiciness of all of that and Mark's own experience. And frankly, my experience of being on the bandwagon and off the bandwagon with this stuff and crashing hard in some cases. So here's Mark in all of his glory. He's so multifaceted. Today, he's an executive coach and trainer and facilitator largely around the Only Tens work that has been hugely powerful and widely used by a lot of CEOs and folks in the corporate world. Like, any of us. When Mark was in the corporate world, which he is no longer, I mean, he tells the story of going from homelessness to sobriety to basically generating over $90 million in sales for fast-growing tech startups. He was this wild success in the corporate world. And he, through his own inner work, decided to kind of get away from the hustle and grind and came up with this system. And really his whole practice has taken off. He's helped so many people and he's got this amazing podcast called Mastering Midlife. And as we talk about toward the end of the conversation, whoo, this is a stair step. Think of it as like basic training before you get to mastering midlife. That's what these tools are. And the tools that are in the book are invaluable, you guys. So listen deeply to this conversation. And in the show notes, there are so many resources and references so you can start your own Only Tens journey. And the other thing I will say is I recorded a solo episode called Rebelling for the Big Rocks. And it was all about me struggling to set my own priorities. And one of the systems I talk about is only tens and Mark's work. So if you love this and it starts to light you up and you want to dive deeper, go and listen to that episode. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. And you can also listen to me and my friend, Dr. Aaron Baker, interview Mark on his very own podcast, Mastery Midlife, last September on the eve of the launch of this book. So, so many. If you want to go down the rabbit hole, there is a deep rabbit hole to be found. And I hope you guys love this conversation are super inspired to reclaim your own freedom and power. Love you guys. Let's tune in. Oh my God, you guys, this is one that I have been wanting to do since I started this podcast last August. I finally have my friend Mark Silverman here with me on Rebel Souls. Welcome, Mark. Hi there. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, let's talk about the irony of the fact that I interviewed you on your podcast before I actually got you on my podcast. So I interviewed you on my podcast. Then you interviewed me on my podcast. Now you get to interview me on your podcast. So now, there we- now, now the circle is complete. Oh my God, the circle is complete. And by the way, we'll have to put all those links in the show notes because all of them have been such juicy conversations. And I'm excited for you and I to go deeper because my Rebel Souls community is still new and growing. And I want them to get to know the full Rebel Enneagram 7 soul brother that is Mark Silverman. You know how much I love you. And I am like, I'm just, ah, all day long, I've been like buzzing 
magazine to get into this conversation. So I'm honored. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm pumped. All right. Well, then you I've know. My, I've been sitting at my desk for six hours doing nothing but staring at this camera, waiting for you to come on. Well, you do have the sexiest fucking camera and it all makes it looks so good. I mean, you know, you got your shit together, friend, but it looks even better in this. So anybody watching I'm, I'm this on YouTube seven with the vanity of a three. Brilliant. And for anybody who doesn't know the Enneagram, look that up. It makes perfect sense. That's awesome. Okay. So you know where we dive in, Mark. So my signature question, favorite thing to ask, and then we're just going to see where the energy takes us and unpack it from there. What are you rebelling for? We talked about this because there's so many different facets. I'm rebelling for freedom, right? I'm rebelling for freedom because my whole entire life, I believe the lie that I was in jail. I believe the lie that I was supposed to be a certain way, do certain things. And I rebelled against those things, not knowing I was already free. So I drank, I drugged, I sexed, I did all those things. You know, I didn't go to college and partied and all that to rebel against what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I never until my 50s realized that I was actually already free. So I'm rebelling for freedom for everybody to let them know that they're already free. Whew. Preach, brother. You know, this all lands with me. I mean, this has been my entire sabbatical journey. And when I talk about being on a mission to liberate a billion souls, hearing you say that, like my heart is pounding. Like I just, I feel like electricity going through my body. It makes me so excited. And you know, I'm a huge fan of your work and I've talked about your work. I've done solo episodes on it. We'll get to that, but I want to talk about your personal story. So what did it look like for you to have this epiphany? I was just interviewing a friend of mine, Nick Onkin, and he calls them cosmic bricks. What were the cosmic bricks that hit you that kind of gave you this epiphany of, wait a second, like I have the keys to this jail cell that I put myself in. What was the beginning of your awakening and what has that looked like? So can I skip past the homelessness and the sales guy stuff and the money and the cars and the all that stuff and just skip to kind of the where the keys came in? Guys, I'd, I'd like to just go there. For me, writing only tens was the first brick in the wall. I mean, the, what was the metaphor? The, co was? the cosmic brick is what Nick says. I okay. say like so, the universe so the hits you. Stone, with, yeah. The first stone to crack the cage was when I did only tens. And I realized that everything that was going on in my life was because I wouldn't choose. I lied to myself constantly. Everything that was on my to-do list, the whole point is the to-do list. Everything that I did, everything that I was, was to either please someone, look a certain way, get a certain outcome, and that I was a slave to all those things. You know, I'm a people pleaser. I'm all things to all people. I'm Superman. I never need any help. All those things. I, I have to look good. I can't be seen being wrong. I can't. All of these things. I never need help. We're all part of building this thing called Mark. And I never realized that I had choices. I never realized that I could set a boundary. So this is very, you know, 101 kind of stuff in taking back your life, learning to set boundaries, learning to say no, creating agreements with people, having the difficult conversations that you need to have, actually telling the truth about what you want and what you don't want. When I first got sober in AA, they gave me a coin that said, to thine own self be true. And I looked at that coin and I had no idea what that saying meant. I honest to God, I still can remember at the Westside Club in Washington, D.C., the first you know, smoke in the room, they hand me this coin. It says, to thine own self be true. And I'm like, I don't have a self. Like, what the hell's a self? 
I am just the shell of a human being, you know, trying to jump through hoops here. And my jumping through hoops left me homeless, right? So that ended me up in AA. But then fast forward after I became successful and wealthy and, you know, had children and had all these things, and I was spinning all these plates so hard to be, you know, my my ex-wife used to say, you know, Mark, you're a 10 as an ex-husband, you're 10 as a son, you're 10 as a father, you're 10 as a worker, right? Like you're just all things to all people. And I couldn't keep it up. So when I finally started to learn that I'm responsible for the quality of my life, I'm responsible for choosing things, that was the first crack in the wall. Then a few years later, as I've been living this and working this and doing all my quote unquote spiritual work, a friend of mine called me from across the sea and he just said, you know, you've been coming to me in my meditation and I feel a heaviness around you. And, you know, I want to talk to you about it. And his name is Phil Goddard. He's a wonderful coach across the pond. And we talked a couple of times and I'm like, you know, Great. He recommended this book, this non-duality book. And he doesn't even remember. He said he's never read that book. He's never recommended that book. He doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I'm saying, no, you recommended this book. And I read this book. So I go down the non-duality rabbit hole and yeah, it makes sense. It's cool. It's, you know, but it's not doing anything for me. And then I'm reading a parody of non-duality, <laughs> you know, kind of a funnier version of it. And I'm sitting there meditating on my cushion and all of a sudden everything fell away. Mark fell away. Time fell away everything fell away. And I'm sitting in on my cushion in my, on the floor of my office, just realizing that every, and it was very energetic, like every ounce of energy that I had went into building Mark. Everything was to defend, to build, to make Mark this hologram so that people see, interact, are with this thing called Mark. And I wound up calling our mutual friend and shaman, Teo Alfaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, wolf connection. And I called Tao and I left him a message because it was really early in the morning when I was meditating and you know he's three hours earlier. And I said, Tao, I am calling to tell you that Mark died, but Mark couldn't have died because Mark never existed. So I'm supposed to teach a time management class, only tens, you know, in a few hours and there is no time. I don't know what to do. Wow. <laughs> so he calls me back. It's like existential me- crisis. <laughs> the highest order. Like I wasn't looking for it. I was reading a funny book, right? Like, so he calls me back. He goes, welcome to the club. He's Argentinian. He says, welcome to the club. It's like, Dale, what do I do about the workshop? He goes, you go teach the workshop. He goes, we now get to play. You now get to play with all this stuff, right? So all of a sudden, this thing called Mark, you know, was I a good son to my parents? Am I a good father? Am I a good worker? Am I a good coach? Am I making enough money? Am I thin enough? Am I all this stuff? All of a sudden, all of that just kind of went out the window for a few days. Just, you know, for a few days, I was walking around going, you know, what the hell is all this? And I see myself interacting with all these other facades. Not that they're, and I'm not calling them fake, but all these other people who are just living conditioning. We're all living conditioning. The guy who's talking to you right now is conditioned. Like it all came back. Mark is back. I care about my weight, right? Like I care about how much money I make. I care about all these things, but I don't care as much. I'm not imprisoned by any of it. I can worry about whether or not my jeans fit, without being imprisoned by it. I can worry if someone didn't like a video I made or a comment that I made, but I'm not imprisoned by it anymore. And now I am free to create a life I want. So that's the piece for me. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. One of my faves. And so he was in Auschwitz. He was in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And he made the case for he was free in the concentration camp. And until you get that piece 
it's only conceptual. Yeah. Right. If they can't have my mind, then I'm free. But the truth is, you and I, we're not talking this new age thing here. You're dealing with elderly parents, right? And it's like a vice script because there's, you can't do it right. You can't get it right. It's just excruciating. I was dealing with that. And what I'm saying is you can be free while you're dealing with that. You can be free while you're having those feelings. You can be free while you're frustrated. And that's what I'm a stand for. If that answered the oh. question. Yeah. Well, more than answered the question. And I want to start, there's so much in there. So let's start unpacking this because there's a lot that I know about you that the Rebel Souls community doesn't yet know about you. And I know that you stand, you mentioned it for you created. And now I think you're best known for this system called only tens. And it sounds to me like coming up with this system was at least one of those keys that let you out of the jail cell. So I kind of want to talk about, okay, so what inspired Only Tens? And for the people who don't yet know, what is Only Tens? Because Only Tens was your first book, but before it was a book, what was it to you and how did it come about? Oh, no, it became a book immediately. Oh, uh, it did. Okay. uh, So our our mutual coach, Rich Litvin, had a lot to do with that. And (laughs) I was actually lamenting to Rich one day, I said, Rich, you know, I've narrowed everything down. I only have a few things on my plate, but my ADD is killing me and I'm not getting things done. You know, like you being, again, an Enneagram 7 ADD, we're creatives, you know, I'm not getting done the things I need to get done and it's frustrating the shit out of me. And Rich in his British wise way said, Mark, what if you trusted your energy and trusted your ADD rather than fight with it? I said, well, I'd be homeless and living under a bridge. He said, you know, I don't think so. But he says, it's also not true that you don't get things done. You know, and this is where the freedom came, right? This is the key right here. It's not true that you don't get things done. You don't do things you don't want to do. If you want to do it, nothing ever stops you. And then I started to think when I wanted to run Marine Corps Marathon and I couldn't run a mile, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon because I wanted to, you know, my knees, my back, nothing stopped me. When I want a new iPhone, somehow in my busy schedule, I find time to go to the Apple store, get my shiny new iPhone and have it in my possession. So that started to, you know, when I, you know, and the last one was the really kicker was when I put my mind to it and I said, I wanted to make a million dollars, I made a million dollars. So the thought that I can't do what I want to do is a lie. So that started the whole thing is, oh, I lie about what I want. <laughs> I lie about what I'm willing to do. And that now all the responsibility comes over here. When the responsibility comes over here, that's not a prison. That's freedom. I had no idea. Now it's my choices. Now what I realize is if I'm not actually accomplishing something, I look at my motivation. Do yeah. I really want it? Like, do I really want it? Am I really putting what I need into it? When I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, when I didn't have time, I found the time to run. When my knees hurt, I still ran, right? And now I had consequences from that. I don't suggest people go run marathons. But (laughs) so now the freedom is in, oh, this isn't happening. Let me look at what's going on with me. What am I doing to make it happen? So now I have the keys to my prison and I can make choices. Do I want to double down? Do I really want to commit myself to this? Or was it really just an eight? So the number 10 means it's a 10. It means it has to be done, has to be done by me and has to be done by me today is the first level of a 10. 
or it's just something I have juice for or I want to do. So like, you know, like if I get all my tens done, if I get the things that really need to get done today and then I go bake keto chocolate, that's okay. Or if I go do Uh. the sixes and sevens on my list, that's okay. So it's really easy when I work with executives to get them out of overwhelm. It only takes me about 45 minutes to get an executive who runs a multinational corporation from overwhelm to, oh my God, I have so much space. I did not know I had so much space because then they look at their, they look at their Asana or their Trello or whatever system they're looking at. And half the things on there never needed to be done in the first place. They just never took it off. Some had already been done. Then some just needed to be delegated and they needed to have that conversation. Some they didn't want to do and just didn't have the conversations to say, this shouldn't be on my plate. Right. And then they're only left with a few things. And they're like, wow, I'm not as busy as I thought. Now here's where the catch comes. I'll get calls and say, you know, like my schedule is empty. What do I do with myself? Right. That blank page is terrifying to a lot of people. We make ourselves busy because we don't want to be alone with ourselves. Mm-hmm. The cool thing that happened to me was now the creative energy came. The muse was able to come with that space, came creativity, proactivity, and I could use that playing canvas however I wanted. Now it was scary. I have ADD. Oh, no, I want to do this. No, I want to do that. No, I want to do this. Now I had a, to have a contemplation program to quiet all that down, to figure out the compass. What's a 10? What's an 8.5? 8.5 ain't going to get done. It's just going to sit on my list for six months. So I really have to separate the wheat from the chaff. And that takes time that, you know, to start to learn my gut, start to learn my heart. Louise George, a coach over in the UK, I think she's Lou George now. She taught me the whole head, heart, and gut thing with embraining game changer, using your head brain, your heart brain, and your gut brain to make decisions. And that really helps me figure out what a 10 is. Yeah, I think I'll leave it there. So before we dive into 10s, because you know, I'm a huge fan of this and you had me at this isn't a time management program. It's a life management, life transformation tool. Like, When I realized I was like, oh, that's nice, right? Being an Enneagram seven, I'm not organized. I don't really like systems. I don't really like processes. I'm like you. It's sort of like the creative tornado comes into town. And when I first understood this bit of like, actually, when you ask yourself these questions, and I think more importantly, when you get in touch with your head, your heart, well, I would say most especially your heart and your soul and your gut. And you really tune in to what lights you up, what's firing that energy. That's the start. So I love that you said you had to put a, I think you called it a contemplation program in place. I'm super curious. What does that look like for you? Because slowing ourselves down long enough to listen deeply and to connect with that voice and that energy is not something a lot of people do on a daily basis. And it's really crucial to this working. So what does that look like for you? And what do you recommend to your clients? So, you know, a lot of my clients, I seem to attract a really ADD, creative, kinetic, executive type. Yeah, (laughs) because we attract who we are. (laughs) Right, so I I tend, like, Mark, don't make me read. Please don't make me read, (laughs) right? Like, send me videos, like that kind of thing. And I know that it's popular to say that every great CEO reads 20 books a year and all that stuff. There's a lot of CEOs who are just creative geniuses, you know, like they're just whirlwinds. So they don't slow down. So I'll start them off with the one minute meditation I have an executive in New York, New York Jew, heady New York Jew guy. You know, I can say that because I'm a New York Jew. We live from the neck up. We don't even know we have a body until we start to learn to breathe into our body. And I, 
you know, his assignment for the first week working with me, and he paid me a lot of money, was to sit in a chair without his phone and breathe for one minute. And he's like, one minute? Like, yeah, one minute, a whole minute, one minute. No, sit in the chair. Yes, sit in the chair for one minute. We're not even talking about meditation. We're not talking about journaling. We're not talking about anything. I just want you to feel what it's like to stop. Yes. So for me, the scary part of not being busy, as Steve Chandler says, busyness equals laziness, because we don't want to take the time to actually choose what we're going to work on. It's much easier. So For me, once I had space, my crazy brain is going to fill up that space with mischief or fun or spending or something. So the contemplation process for me was necessary for me to discern what to use my time for. Yeah. Otherwise, it was just going to be wasted away. I wasn't going to be busy but I wasn't going to be doing anything worthwhile either. Like I have a fish tank now. I could sit for four hours and not move from my fish tank and just look at my hermit crabs. You know, so I've done it. (laughs) Four hours looking at a hermit crab. (laughs) So that contemplation process, the sitting. So the meditation for me, meditation is essential. And I don't, you know, when I suggest to other people, I don't care if it's a walking meditation, a drawing meditation, a guided meditation, a Zazen silence meditation. I don't care. Wim Hof breathing. I don't care. You know, listen to Abraham Hicks talk about abundance. Just contemplate. Then journaling. I got to get stuff out of my brain. I do the morning pages and I have a video that teaches morning pages to people from Julia. We'll put it. We'll put a link in that. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Well, you know, I have that whole page I made for your Rebel Souls community. Why don't we use that as the giveaway for this podcast? I love it. It has all of the stuff, self-forgiveness program, the difficult conversations, the journaling that we can give away. But, you know, that journaling, that writing that three pages of stuff quiets everything down, gets Mm -hmm. all the garbage out so that we can actually hear a deep part of ourselves. I'll call it the muse, you know, our intuition, our gut, our heart, whatever it is, just not the monkey mind, right? Amen. Well, what I love, and this is sort of the next layer of it. And I was looking back at my notes from our last conversation. And what I wrote down is your initial questions. So the, does this need to get done? Does this need to get done by me? And does this need to get done by me today are almost the surface level questions. What you're really talking about, that contemplation, that stillness, that quiet, that listening gets to these deeper questions really about who are you and who do you want to be? What do you want to do and create? I mean, talk a little bit about that because that's really the juiciness. Isn't that scary? Oh my God, it's amazing. It's the, that's the transformational piece of what you've created that most people might not see on the surface. And I certainly didn't see it on the surface until I dove into it with you. I didn't see it either until our mutual friend, Patty Hall, really pushed me into writing the 2.0 version of the book. I did not see, I thought it was a cute little book about setting boundaries, right? Like it was lovely. It sold 60,000 copies. That's great. You know, made me a little famous and got me to actually get things done. But in rewriting the book, I realized and rereading the book by clearing away all those things, by finally having those difficult conversations, by actually learning about myself what I like, what I don't like, what I want, what I don't want, what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do, and telling the truth about all those things. Now it led me to the deeper questions. Who the fuck am I? What the fuck do I want? Mm. What am I willing to do? 
What am I not willing to do? And what are my relationships like? Am I telling the truth in my own relationships? Right? Am I people pleasing again? Because that's my DNA from you know childhood is be all things to all people, so people like you, so you're safe. You know, for me growing up, the only way I was safe was to be all things to all people. Yeah. So as an adult, when I get caught not doing something I said I was going to do, I panic, right? But not anymore. <laughs> you know, so I've done the work that doing only tens and clearing all that stuff away, all the shoulds and all that stuff to get to know Mark and now bring that forward. Right. So, and that's the only place from which we can create true boundaries, right? And have that compass that guides us. And it goes back to what you were saying. I mean, you say it on the cover of your book and I'm going to pitch this book over and over again. So for those of you watching the video, Only Tens 2.0, I send it to my clients. It's an absolute must read. And it just the headline that you have in the book just is again rings so true. You don't have a time management problem, you have an honesty problem. And I, the many times that I've had this conversation with you, you know, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to tell you, I've started and stopped this only tens thing and the big rocks in my life thing so many times. I'm on the wagon, I'm off the wagon, I'm on the wagon, I fall hard off the wagon. I'm on, and it's like one of the things that keeps coming up for me, and you talk about it as a true in the book is that busyness is a bitch of an addiction for us. It's a badge of honor. It is part of our conditioning. And so talk a little bit about that because, wow, I'm wound up in that. And that's one of the things that's keeping me from being honest about the tens. You know, the first time I realized, you know, I only realized this in hindsight, when I was a sales guy, we worked long hours. What I noticed was there was a lot of talking going on a lot of shooting the shit in the office, you know, when you came back from appointments and things like that. And, and it would be like seven o'clock and people's spouses would be calling. And one guy's wife called and, you know, we were just talking about sports and one guy's wife called and goes, no, honey, I'm working really hard. I'm going to be a little late for dinner and all this stuff. <laughs> and then he hung up and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. We got to look busy to the world. So that's really important. The currency in the world is if someone texts you, you got to get back to them right away. If you're on an email string and you're vying for your place in the organization, you better be the first person to respond to the CEO or whoever's asking the question. So you look like Johnny on the spot, right? So we're addicted to looking like we're busy, looking like we're Johnny on the spot. We're really tired. So when nobody's looking, we're scrolling through the sports scores or the entertainment news or Twitter, you know, political Twitter or something like that. Or something we're zoning like out to Netflix, right? Exactly. Right? But then when somebody calls, you're like, whoa, whoa no, 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 no. I, I, I was so busy today. Oh my God, I don't know where the day went. But it's also, it's very satisfying to come home from a long day and go, oh my God, did I work hard? It was so hard today. I'm going to pop open a beer, have a glass of wine, and then we're going to Netflix and chill because I earned it. And, you know, it's much better than saying, you know what? I don't really know what I did today. I don't even know if I made progress on anything important. I just know I worked really hard. And to confront that and to say the truth about that. And to make that decision that I want to get traction rather than spinning my wheels, that I really actually care about where I'm going, what I'm creating, and the difference that I'm making in whatever organization I'm in, it's hard to look at that because it's so much easier. You know, I tell one story in the book that really kind of illustrated it for me. My foot doctor, you know, we talked about the marathon. Now I have relationships with feet doctors because of the freaking marathons. Another um, cautionary tale. <laughs> 
Totally. But anyway, so I'm going in, I have my Achilles tendon separated. So I'm in the hospital and I have the best podiatrist in, you know, my area. And I get in there at eight o'clock in the morning. Cause I'm one of the first people who's supposed to get surgery. And I'm there for a couple hours. They mark me up. They, you know, which foot it is, all this stuff. And finally she comes running in at 11 o'clock and she's like, oh, Mark, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting. She says, we're ready for your surgery. We're going to go in now. And, you know, I've just done, I've done six surgeries already today. I have six more after you, but we're going to get you done. And I just looked at her. I said, "Um, have you eaten today? She says, no, I haven't eaten your lunch. I'm not going to be able to eat lunch today. I said, look, (laughs) I'm really good here. I'm happy. I have my phone. I have my headset. I'm good. You go eat lunch. She goes, really? You don't mind? I said, no, you go out. She comes back 20 minutes later. <laughs> she says, I had a salad and a cup of coffee. I'm a completely new person. <laughs> I said, great. Now you can operate on me. I wasn't no! going to touch me. But the funny thing is, the piece that was really funny, she's, they overschedule me every time. They, every surgery day, they overschedule me. I'm like, who's they? She's my staff. I said, they're your staff. Tell them you can't do 13 surgeries in a day. What I notice is that the nicer the doctor, the worse the staff. Yeah. (laughs) The nastier the doctor, the better the staff runs. So that was just, you know, it's always they overschedule me. How many executives have I talked to going, oh my God, they scheduled so many meetings for me. Who's they? You run the freaking company. Right? Yeah. So, you know, have those conversations, but it's much easier to clutch our pearls and put our hand to our head and say, uh, I'm just so busy instead of setting oh, God. Now, everybody who works with me sets a part time every day that's on their schedule that nobody gets to touch. Oh, I love that. I call those meetings, right? Yes. Those are it's me meetings. time. Yeah. However you need to use it, but capital M capital E hyphen, right? Because yeah, it's like inviolable time. And I coach my same thing, coach my clients on that all the time. And by the way, it's because it's the medicine I need to keep taking and keep reminding me that that is myself, that that is inviolable time. You know, we, but you know, there's there's all these books, there's all these books called like the one thing, essentialism, deep work. I've read every one of those books, love every one of those authors. One thing that I really do understand is that those authors don't need their own books, right? Mm. Like they're the, they're the kind of people who actually are organized and get shit done. The people who are reading them desperate to get things done aren't capable of doing the deep work, of setting aside the time to do the deep work because they can't have the conversations, can't set the boundaries, can't do the things that are needed to create the space to actually do deep work. And if you're like me, when you sit down to actually do the deep work, that anxiety that comes when you look at a blank piece of paper, when you look at a spreadsheet, when you're supposed to do your taxes. you know, I For me, one of the things I had to learn was that I actually can do all these things, but there's always this anxiety that I call ADD. There's this anxiety that comes up that I have to be willing to work through to get things done. If I can work through that five minutes of anxiety, I can do anything. I can write a book. I can do, you know, I can do anything. But you know, if you have ADD, you understand that cloud of confusion and that anxiety that comes whenever you're put in that box of actually accomplishing the thing you said you were going to accomplish. Being willing to be uncomfortable to do that is the only way you're going to get to any of the gold in those books. So yeah, it's I always anxiety say, and only yeah. tens, read only tens before you read getting things done. Read only tens before you read essentialism, do the, you know, the one thing deep work, because then you're going to be able to go and put what their gold to work. Yeah. To put it into practice. Well, and that is the gold of what you've created is that it is a living, breathing system. 
that we can use every day. And even when we fall off the wagon and by we, I mean me. <laughs> I, but that, yeah, but- yeah, I fall off the wagon all the time. I created this thing and I fall off the wagon all the time. The cool thing is you can take 10 minutes with a cup of coffee and get back on the wagon at yeah. any time. What's important right now? What's the 10 today? Get that done, right? Then you can plan the next day. I love that. And Mark, how do you work through, I want to get into some of the truths because the truths that you got woke through revisiting your own only 10 system and so many brilliant truths came out. But I have to ask you because I was just mulling over, how do I work through the five minutes of anxiety or overwhelm that I feel? And I feel like that would be a hugely valuable nugget for all of our fellow rebel souls who are like, I am still trying to get this stuff right. I'm still practicing this every day. How do you personally work through that five minutes of anxiety to get to the, like, to get to the other side so you can do the thing you truly want to do? What does that look like for you? First thing is it's a choice. First thing I have to decide, I have to decide I want to do it. So that's a platitude, but the truth is I have to decide. Once I decide, I have tools at my disposal. So my tools are aromatherapy. Mm. A wonderful woman sent me her the stuff she sends to kids for ADD that has like frankincense and all kinds of stuff. Oh, I love that. Um, so, this, so I have this aromatherapy that whether it works or not, Again, it's a signal setting up my sacred space of my deep work time. So I put it on my hands. I sniff my essential oils. I'll put on certain kinds of music. I don't know. It's you know, binaural music, like theta waves and delta wave music. Yep. I listen to like Stephen Halpern and music like that, that levels out my brain waves because it really is a brainwave thing. So when I sit down, I do my aromatherapy. I turn on the right music. I put on my headphones or something. I get amazing things done. But again, I have to choose to do that. If I don't choose to do those things, I'm screwed. Oh, I'm going to sit down in my computer and I'm just going to work. And something comes up, you know, Shelly Paxton liked my video. Oh, that's cool. I wonder what she said, right? I'm so much more interested in what you had to say about the work I did a couple of days ago than what I'm trying to accomplish now. (laughs) So hundred percent. But if I turn off the notifications and I put on the music and I set that intention, it's unstoppable. And I think that's why people like you and I really are creative geniuses for a while. And then we're complete losers for a little while. And then we're creative geniuses and then complete losers. Because once we make that decision, it becomes a 10 and we actually put our minds to it. We can get an incredible amount of work done in a short period of time. You know, you and I probably could only work two hours a day and do tons if we actually focused. No, you're right. And well, and let's be honest, you and I, your book editor is my book coach and editor, Patty Hall. And the only reason I actually got the book done is because I had to figure out my own version of those rituals to put in place too. So every day I had certain days of the week that were writing days. And from the second that I woke up on those writing days, I had a routine and rituals. And part of it, I love that you said music. And I offer this up to everyone when you need to do that deep thinking, when you want to, you know, get yourself out of the busyness, find what works best for you. For me, it was certain candles and it was on Spotify. And actually I'll see if I can find this to put it in the show notes. There's a deep focus Spotify playlist that got into my brain and did things to my brain that I cannot articulate. But I knew as 
soon as that, because I did it over and over and over again, as soon as that started playing in the morning, it's the first thing I would put on when I would get up, have coffee. It signaled to my brain today we're going deep. Today is a quiet day with no other meetings where we will call in the muse. I'm not going to pretend or bullshit anybody that it started working on day one and it was magic. It was practice and it was habit and it became ritual and it fucking worked. So I love that you brought that up. Thank you. Because we can do that in every aspect of our life. And I have to admit, I'm chuckling as I'm saying this out loud because I'm like, oh, Shelly, that's so interesting. Why are you doing that now? <laughs> why, are, why are you saving that only for your book writing? I'm like totally calling myself out in this isn't moment. That, isn't that great? Oh, God. Okay. I had a good laugh at that. Thank you for laughing with me. But okay, I love that. Let's go into... so. You reread your own book and you were like, you had basically been shitting all over your own book. You're like, this was poorly written and I, you know, whatever. I just put it out there, but interesting, maybe lucky that a bunch of people bought it and people are talking about it not becoming kind of famous for this thing and doing all these workshops. And when you went back, when Patty forced you to go back and kind of take a oh, look at your work. she forced me too. She forced, yeah, like, I was like, no, Patty. She's like, yeah, you're not writing your next book. I'm not helping you with your next book until you do this. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she was so right. Oh, oh it's like feeding a kid their medicine, right? You know, it's just like, or some food they don't like, right? Feeding a kid vegetables. And so you took your own vegetables and you went, oh, okay, wait a second. Like, there's something here here, which is what, you know, inspired you to say, I'm going to put out the second edition of this because I've learned so much. I have so many insights from my own experience and my client's experience. And you include in, you know, the edition that I want everybody to get, we're going to put the link to your book, Only Tens 2.0. You include these truths that even as I'm saying truths, I'm getting the goosebumps. And you and I have talked about this. So, you know, I'm going to bring up some of my favorite ones. We've already talked about the busyness one, right? Okay. So we got the busyness one out of the way. The other one that floors me every fucking time is when you talk about the fact that a lot of things masquerade as tens. Again, honesty problem. So I, when I went back and reread this before we talked, I think it was back in September on the eve of you debuting the new book. I was like, wow, I'm swimming in a whole lot of sevens and eights and 9.5s that I'm calling tens. And that just kind of woke me up and scared the shit out of me because that is only the result of me not being honest about what a 10 is in my life. Sometimes things, so for me, the things that are look really good and really fun, I really should do that. That will make me some money. That'll make me a little famous. That will be really good publicity. That would be a really, why wouldn't you do that, Mark? Those are all seven, eights, and nines, right? Oh, I get to collaborate with Shelly Paxton. Shelly called me. I love Shelly. She called me to do this, this business thing. Let's work together on this, Mark. Shelly's a 10 for me. I don't really want to do this, but I should because I love Shelly and she's successful and it'll be really good and it'll make me look good. And then I wind up procrastinating and you know, Shelly's like going, Mark, where's your part of the work and all that stuff. And then I realize, oh, that wasn't a 10 for me. Shelly was the 10 for me. So now I can make the phone call. And I can say, Shelly, I love you so much. You are a 10 for me. This project, it's really awesome, but it's a nine. And I can't do anything less than a 10 for you. I won't show up as my best. So I need to step out. 
now all the fears, I'm afraid you're not going to like me. I'm afraid there's never going to be another opportunity for us to work together again, right? All that stuff. And what usually happens is, you know, Mark, it was actually a nine for me too. <laughs> you know, like that o- almost always happens. It's like, I just oh. wanted to work with you, but this isn't the project, right? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. So those are, those are the kinds of things that I really have to look out for. One, a really cool one was there's this coach named Steve Harson. He's called the ultimate coach. Love him dearly. He was the first coach I called when I wanted to become a coach to work with. And I had never met him in person. And he was going to be in London, England. And I couldn't go on the trip that was in London, England, where he was going to be because I was going for a 10-day trip with baseball. My son was playing baseball in Spain. So I was going to go for 10 days with my son and play baseball in Spain. At the same time, but I could leave my son two days early and go meet Steve in person in London. At the same time, I had the opportunity to be on a television show where they were going to throw coaches into like whitewater rafting and all kinds of stuff in Alaska and document how coaches deal with being absolutely terrified. Oh my God. I want to go to Alaska. And then my original mentor, the guy who got me into coaching, Alan Cohen, who's an author who lives in Hawaii, he was having his advanced, you know, really woo-woo, you know, spiritual retreat, you know, otherworldly retreat that I really wanted to be at. So I had all these things that I wanted to do. And I was like, maybe if I leave two days early and go meet Steve in London, and then I can fly to Alaska just in time, maybe to start all this stuff. And I talked to Steve and Steve said, if you leave your son and you show up in England and sitting in a conference room with me, I will not talk to you. (laughs) He says, nobody was at my games when I was a kid. If you miss this opportunity with your son, I will not speak with you you go to Spain with your son. And I sat there and I had to mourn all the nines. The nine was going to see Steve. The nine was going to Alaska to do this thing. And it was real sadness. So I mourned them. And that was the first time I actually had, like I let myself have the feelings of loss making a choice for a 10. I went to Spain with Zach, had like, I'll remember this for the rest of my life. He'll remember this for the rest of our lives, right? The sword that's behind me comes from Toledo, Spain, reminding me of that trip every day. So figuring out what the tens are and letting go of the nines and the eights, real hard thing, you know, to do, but letting them go gives you so much energy and focus to, to really do well on the things that you said you wanted to do. Oh, I love that. Two things are coming up for me. One is this idea of mourning, letting go of the nines. It's like, yeah, let's give ourselves permission to say, oh, that sounded great. That is actually something that I want to do. It's just not the right time. And Mark, you've told me, and I think you say in the book, if it's truly a 10, it'll come back around. Right? So always. Right. Always. And so I think we feel like, oh my God, this is never going to happen again. I'm never going to get this opportunity. That person won't ever speak to me again. If I say no, or Steve Hardison is never going to talk to me again or whatever it is. And that's another lie. Cause the truth is if it's a 10, it always comes back to us. And it just means it wasn't the divine timing. It was meant to be right. It was funny funny because, you know, like, again, I I wanted to spend time in person with Steve and I I hadn't gotten the chance. I was never getting the internal green light to go to Phoenix and see him. Never go, never get the green light, never get the green light. We exchange emails, we tell you messages, stuff like that. And then I was sitting on my cushion one day and it says, time to go to Phoenix. I was like, what? Time to go to Phoenix. Texas Steve, time to come to Phoenix. Great. Set up a date, went to Phoenix, right? Like when it was a 10, it became a 10 and it was really easy to get done. Oh, I was going to say with ease, 
right? With ease and grace. And this is something we also have to remember when something feels hard, it feels hard for a reason. When we feel (laughs) in struggle, it's probably because we're hanging on to something we're meant to let go of. Although I will say there are things that are hard that are worth doing if it, you know, Mm. like it's a 10, you know, so that's where the contemplation and getting to know yourself is getting to know, oh, this is something that's really difficult. I have some headwinds, but I'm going to overcome that because it really is a 10. And to discern, you know, these headwinds really make it clear to me that this isn't the right time to do this. But you have to discern that. You have to, that's trial and error to learn for yourself. That's why the quieting down, the contemplation is essential to being able to pick these things. I love that. And it's going to be different for you and for me and for the next person. So I love that. And the thing that just came to mind for me when you said it is writing a book, writing a book for me was really fucking hard. Like, I don't know what the process was like for you. I'd be curious. Oh, it, because... was, it was hell. It was hell. Yeah, I, wrote in the okay. book, I used only tens to write only tens. Exactly. And I wish only tens had been in my life for writing sabbatical because it was a year that had it not been for Patty Hall, I'd still be curled up in the fetal position, like crying and sucking my thumb. I would be on chapter one. So let's be really clear. I also decided that it was part of living my legacy and it was part of my mission to liberate a billion souls. And it was worth the emotional excavation and the hard work to do. And I feel that way about all of the things that so clearly align with my mission today, even if they yeah, feel hard in a moment. So I love that discernment piece. That's important. Here's the last thing, the last truth I want to talk about. And then I want to get on to what's next. Because I know that all of this yumminess is sort of leading to the next thing for you. And I want to make sure we have time to talk about it. The last truth that I do want to hit on, because I feel like it's going to resonate as deeply with this community as it did with me, is this one around when we start to do this, some people are going to have the response that you said, like, if you called me and said, Shelly, you're a 10 for me, but this collaboration that you suggested it's a 9.5. It's a 9.8. I just, I won't be showing up in the way that I want to. And I probably would say, shit, you're right. You know what, Mark? I was saying that because I got overly excited because I would do anything to do work with you. However, we all know there are people in our lives who aren't going to feel very good about the gracious no that they get as we start to get really clear on our tens and therefore really clear on our boundaries and have to have some pretty difficult conversations. And I love that you described it. You say, as we start to show up in the world using our elbows and knees and taking up our space versus being pretzel boy, which is how you described yourself when you were, you know, the contortionist who was people pleasing with everybody. So talk about that one for a sec, because that just lands. It's like, yeah, you know what? Some people are going to go, bye-bye, Felicia. My ex-wife used to tell the story to people that, you know, when you walk into a room, 50% of the people are going to like you and 50% of the people are not going to like you, except for Mark. 100% of the people like Mark. (laughs) And that was by design, because in order for me to be safe, everybody had to like me. Right. So I became really good at getting people on my side because for me, again, it was life or death. So when I started to set boundaries, when I started to say no, when I started to actually do what I wanted to do, the world responds, right? The world is going to be like, what the hell? So you have the people in your life who depend on Pretzel Boy, right? So the people who depend on Pretzel Boy and they only like him because he's Pretzel Boy, they're going to get pissed and they're going to go. Then there's going to be the people 
who have to be retrained. They like Mark. Mm -hmm. They like the pretzel boy, <laughs> but they're going to have to adjust and they'll learn to adjust, but you're going to have friction. You know, you may have fights and that kind of thing. And then there's going to be the people who are your champions. Yeah. You know, like, oh my God, I've been waiting for you to set a boundary. I've been waiting for you to put yourself on the list. I've been waiting for you to take care of yourself. And that's, you know, it was really interesting when I wanted to become a coach and my ex-wife who depended on me financially, you know, when she said to me, you know, Mark, you were born to do this and I trust that you'll be fine and we'll be fine. It was huge, right? For me to say, I don't want to kill myself in the industry that I was in. It's eating my soul alive. And I really feel called to do this. And she said, you absolutely have to do this. She says, I mm -hmm. thought this the whole time I've known you, you were born to do this. We just didn't have a name for it, right? So I had that support. So now I walk through the world. There's people who don't like Mark. And there's people who really don't like Mark. Then there's a, there's a lot of people. In fact, most of my really close relationships are people who really didn't like me when they met me because I said some awful truth <laughs> that I don't remember ever saying. They'll come back and they'll say, you know, at this thing, you said this to me and I hated you for it. And then I realized two months later, you were right and you changed my life. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many people are in my life that they're that way. And I'm always like, I said that to you. I'm so sorry. They're like, no, no. <laughs> So now people would say to me, oh no, Mark asks for what he wants. Mark sets boundaries. Mark speaks his mind, you know, that kind of thing. So you, people wouldn't even know that I was ever pretzel boy. Yeah. And it's what I love about the book is that it gives us so many practical tools, literally like the back half of the book is tools for how to have difficult conversations, how to set boundaries. So we're not going to spend time in this conversation, but I really encourage everybody to like pick this up. It's a short yet powerful read. And it's like your handbook to how to do this stuff. And especially because it will make us uncomfortable as we're transitioning into standing up for ourselves, as we're transitioning into taking up more space, as we're transitioning into, you know, a world where people aren't going to like us as much, all of those things. And world where we're a little bit more still and listening more deeply. And it might be hard to hear what we're hearing, right? But it is, it's living our truth. And you say, I had it written down in my notes. I don't know where you say this, but you say something about, yes, this book is about our choice because that's what it is. Oh yeah. It's about increasing freedom, authenticity, and personal power as a result of taking a hold of those keys. Cause the keys are our choice and the keys are our freedom to what you just said. So what's this a stair step to? Because I know, so your podcast is called Mastering Midlife. I love that you've been on this mission. Is only 10s like a stair step to something bigger? Are you, you know, my big question, are you working on the next book? Because I can't wait to read it. Like, tell us more, like what's going on? So our virtual friend, Patty, Patty Hall said, I couldn't write Mastering Midlife until I wrote Only 10s 2.0 because she saw that Practicing only tens, having the difficult conversations, setting boundaries, asking for what you want, learning about yourself is the first step to mastering midlife. And mastering midlife is a verb, right? It's you're not going to master midlife. You're setting yourself up for tools for the rest of your life and how you're going to evolve. So when we hit midlife, for me, you know, I have the podcast, which I was going to do a book. And then the voice on the cushion that I always listen to said, no, you're going to do a podcast. I'm like, I'm not doing a podcast. I sound like a male Fran Drescher. It's just not happening. And, you know, 285 episodes later, I'm a podcaster, right? And uh, it's fucking good. So we're also putting a link to your podcast in there because I'm a big fan and it's not just because I've been on it twice, but that's cool too. 
Uh, you're going to be on it three times, but I, I appreciate that. So for me, now putting together a program, I'm putting together group programs for men and women who are in this time where the drives and motivations that get you through your 20s and 30s start to shift in your 40s and 50s, right? And it's often, you know, Helen Appleby and I were just talking about imposter syndrome. And we were saying, you know, rarely is someone really, really successful from a healthy place. Usually those drives are something that happened in childhood. You know, for me, I became wealthy because I never wanted to be poor again, right? Like, but those drives are unsustainable. And in midlife, all of a sudden you start to see that they're unsustainable and you panic because you want to be able to keep that financial engine going. You want to be able to keep your body a certain way. You want to be able to live a certain way. And life is asking you to shift and change. And when that life asks you those questions, if you don't have the tools and the centering and the grounding to be able to listen, you're screwed, right? And then people get panicky when they're not fulfilled in their career, they get panicky that they have to leave their career. So they won't listen to the voice because the voice is saying, you got to leave your career. You don't necessarily have to leave your career. You actually probably want to stay in your career. You just want to do it differently. You don't want it to eat you alive, right? You and I come from the corporate world. We coach people in the corporate world. They would give us our middle finger if we said, go follow your bliss, right? They're like, I have kids to put through college. I have elderly parents to take care of. I'm not going to follow my bliss, but they want to do it in a different way. They want to find that grounding and that peace while they're living, you know, and then work slowly towards whatever that bliss and dream is, you know, in a sane manner. So for me, only tens moves into how do we master midlife? Now, I would love if we could do all the things that we talk about, the contemplation, the learning about ourselves, the letting go of our belief systems, the self-forgiveness and the forgiveness of others and the end of arguing with the world and with God and with ourselves and all that stuff to find that peace in old age at 20. I'd love it. But that warrior stage of, you know, 20s and 30s of building something, there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason society needs that engine. So it's not a lot of people at that age are going to embrace that crack. I think yeah. people COVID and the changing of the economy to a gig economy are pushing people more and more towards it. But now I'm seeing more of the Gary Vaynerchuk hustle, hustle, hustle. And people are making believe that the hustle of building these businesses is their bliss, <laughs> but it's moving in the right direction. But now in your 40s and 50s, you get fired, you get sick, your marriage breaks up, you're forced to look at your life. So that's yeah, it's raining path. cosmic bricks at this point, right? If we go back to that, it's just like cosmic bricks or however I say, you know, getting smacked by a two by four, you know, in the solar plexus, whatever it is, but all of that is happening to ourselves, to our parents. Yeah. The world is changing around us. COVID happens, upends how we think about everything in our world and what matters most to us. Like, I think that's one of the biggest gifts. I mean, in a time of a lot of tragedy and a lot of loss, I think one of the biggest gifts is people slow down enough to get clear on what really matters most to me. And in that old normal, what the fuck was I doing with all that time? <laughs> like Not spending it with my family, not, you know, so I just think that's, I do feel like there's an awakening, like in the collective conscience that's happening. Do you agree? I, yeah. so. I think there was an awakening, but awakenings don't last. You know, I had, mm -hmm. I had an enlightenment experience. Like I, you know, I knew I saw the oneness of all things. I'm back to being Mark <laughs> different, but I'm still Mark, right? Like uh, I'm still going to go to couples therapy after this podcast, right? I still have barking dogs while this is going on. I'm still Mark. I think only a small percentage of people are going to shift mm. permanently.
it's just not in human nature. We really need to be pushed off our center to go to something different. But that's what, for me, Mastering Midlife is. The tagline is how to thrive when the world asks the most of you. It's because we're in that vice grip of having kids, of having elderly parents. We're at our most responsible at work. All at the same time, and it feels like a vice grip and our bodies are not doing what we want them to do like they used to, right? We can't go out drinking with our clients anymore and then get up to for work in the morning. But for me, I believe that it's actually the time where we can be the most free. You know, for me, midlife is when I'm finally too tired to keep up the charade of Mark. And that's a good thing. It comes with consequences, but those consequences generally will land you in a better place. Whew. As much as I don't want to end this conversation, I that note was just a beautiful place to kind of tie this all up. And I just want to say, cannot wait to read that next book because it sounds like that's where Mastering Midlife is heading, both your group programs and how is this unfolding for you? And please put the learnings in a book for all of us. I think it will be so powerful. And in the meantime, I will continue to be an avid listener to Mastering Midlife and I'm going to make sure everybody has has the link in the show notes. Tell us where else we can find you, Mr. Merck. You can find me at markjsilverman.com, markthelitterjsilverman.com. You can go to masteringmidlife.com.net and .org because I own all three of them and they'll just send you to markjsilverman.com. So that's where you can find me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all those other places. Awesome. And I will make sure that we link to, I had forgotten that you created that cool sheet for our Rebel Souls community that I put out in the newsletter. We've got you know many more people in the community. So I'm going to link to that again. Such a good idea. And thank you for doing this because every time, like I feel like it is divine timing every time you and I have a conversation where I've just always kind of fallen off the wagon. And especially with everything going on in my personal life right now, with my family, with my aging parents, with the care that they need, some the big decisions that we're on the threshold of. It's really reminding me what my tens are and my family and my own self-care are at the top of the list. And I am really honoring that and letting so much else fall away without feeling the guilt and the stress and the anxiety and all the things. And I have you to thank for that. So thank you. And thank you because I just love every opportunity I get to riff with you, my friend. Well, thank you. I love myself more because I've been around you. <laughs> oh, you that's such so a... much for my own self-esteem. I can't even tell you. Oh, I love that you said that. You know what? That's what we got to do for each other. We're both that's what we all do, right? That's why community is so powerful and we bolster each other up. And I know you're super close to Helen and I had an amazing conversation. So anybody who hasn't yet listened to the Helen Appleby episode, the unwritten rules of women's leadership, damn, it's good too. So you guys are a dynamic duo. And so with that, we'll sign off Rebel Souls. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. You're amazing. And we can't wait for more when the next book comes out. You are so coming back on this podcast. And we'll love you and leave you. See you all next week. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylbatical.com and follow me at sylbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold brave and badass and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?